0: Hello and welcome to the Within Us podcast. I am your host, Ozzy Jankovic. In this episode, you are going to learn about a modern miracle substance. I would call it a drug, but as I've learned in this episode over the course of interviewing Dr. Alan Flashman, who is a board-certified pediatrician and psychiatrist, what we are talking about today doesn't even qualify as a drug. Dr. Alan Flashman completed his specialty training in pediatrics, psychiatry, and child psychiatry at Albert Einstein Medical College. He is in private practice as a pediatrician and psychiatrist in Israel, and he is an adjunct professor at Ben Gurion University, Hebrew University, Tel Aviv University, and the Central School for Advanced Training at the Ministry of Welfare. Dr. Flashman and I speak all about the uses of cannabis. Cannabis comes with a rich history of political controversy. Only recently has cannabis been somewhat deregulated here in Israel. We are seeing the increase of use and the legalization of cannabis throughout the world in various capacities, but we really are at the brink of the research on cannabis to truly understand what this complex substance can do for human beings and for this world by the way of well-being. I discovered this substance almost by accident. This past spring when COVID hit, I found myself dealing with insomnia and anxiousness that I hadn't dealt with in years before as a recent immigrant to israel as a busy working mom of four children dealing with this uncertainty and all of the changes i found myself having trouble sleeping i would lay in bed at night going through my to-do list and wondering what would be and i knew within a period of days that i needed to get some serious help so that i could be at my best and function through this all i asked around. In various communities of professionals in the field of psychology and unequivocally was referred to Dr. Flashman for some advice and counseling. What I learned was that rather than taking the pharmaceuticals that I had been prescribed by my general doctor, there was a natural option available to me that wouldn't come with unwanted side effects like nausea, anxiety the next day, and feelings of almost like a hangover, having had too much alcohol the day before, but all of this coming from a pharmaceutical really that brought about brain fog, inability to think straight, unwanted emotional experiences, um, physical, um, really feeling physically tired, and really challenging in terms of day-to-day functioning, all from the side effects of a drug that I was using to get a good night's sleep. So when I discovered cannabis, I was completely skeptical and I thought that I would try it, it wouldn't do anything for me, or that perhaps it would come with some psychoactive um, properties that I wasn't really interested in. Like, I, you know, I'm turning 40 this year. I wasn't really looking to Um, I wasn't really looking to get high or to have that type of experience. If anything, I I just wanted to function in my daily life and, and I wanted to be productive. And so I wanted to find something that would support that. I was incredibly skeptical, but I have to tell you that here I am. It is now the end of October. So it's been several months and this new completely natural substance with zero side effects, works in so perfectly with my mental, emotional, and physical self-care routine. I feel so grateful to have found this. And it took me a while, but I was able to catch up with Dr. Flashman and sit down with him to have this interview to learn more about cannabis and what this is and what the science is and all of the various uses for cannabis. I've come to believe that we need greater access to cannabis. It is more accessible in most places in the world than it has been in a long time. Unfortunately, it's in Israel, it's more expensive than, um, than it may need to be. It's not subsidized like pharmaceuticals are. I can go into the pharmacy and get um, really strong sleeping medication albeit that comes with strong side effects for a matter of a few dollars per month where this, um, this prescription can be hundreds of dollars per month and upwards depending on how much of the substance somebody needs. So it's not as widely available or accessible as I, I think that it could be, but that said, it's really important to me that I share what I've learned and what I've discovered with you because... It can help so many people. In this episode, Dr. Flashman is going to talk about the 700 children with autism that he's treated successfully with cannabis. He's going to talk about those suffering with post-traumatic stress disorder, including soldiers who have come back from war, who have been aided greatly by the use of cannabis, and the more everyday uses of cannabis for um, disorders such as anxiety that have actually become incredibly commonplace in the past nine months. We're seeing across the board increases of anxiety medication, uh, upwards of even 75% as reported by certain doctors in certain places. So we're dealing with real issues here. And much to my surprise, we are also talking about a real solution. So with nothing further, it is my absolute honor and pleasure to introduce you to Dr. Alan Flashman.
1: Dr. Flashman, I'm so excited to be here with you today. It's such an honor and a privilege to be interviewing you. And you do such phenomenal work here in Israel and your reputation precedes you. In my search for a psychiatrist with this particular specialty, I was referred to you time and again from a number of different professionals, and practitioners. And it's really tremendous to be sitting with you here today. So welcome to the show.
2: Thank you very much. I'm happy to be with you.
1: For anyone who has not yet become acquainted with you and the work that you do, can can we start by your sharing a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Uh,
2: sure. I'm a, a bit of a maverick in the sense that I did a lot of credentials in the States. I'm boarded in the pediatric psychiatry and child psychiatry. After I did all that, I came to Israel and ended up uh, in private practice here. Not what I expected, but uh, certainly satisfactory in the Beersheba. Um, What I do is uh, I teach a great deal, individual therapy, adolescent therapy, and now especially family therapy. And in addition, in my practice, I um, do what I think is needed. And recently, one of the things that's been most needed is the use of medical cannabis in post-trauma and in autism.
1: Fascinating. And that's the topic of our conversation today. And it's really, on one hand, it's something that fascinates me. And I'm also really surprised to find out about some of the effects of using cannabis. Now, to backtrack a little bit, in the beginning of COVID, I myself was going through some mental health challenges, experiencing anxiety, and really feeling not quite myself. Now, my own previous experience with psychiatric medicine was that one of the remedies, if you will, for these types of experiences, especially with insomnia, was taking medication to sleep. When I sought out some extra help in the beginning of COVID, I was completely surprised to find that the recommendation for my insomnia and for the anxiety was rather than pharmaceuticals, the remedy suggested was cannabis. And you know, Dr. Flashman, I was shocked in a certain way. I grew up in Southern California in sort of a, a, a marijuana culture, if you will. There's a the pop culture where there, there's a lot of marijuana use. And I myself had mixed feelings about it in general. But what I've come to learn and what I experienced personally was that the use of cannabis is not at all what I thought it would be. And it it has completely replaced and replaced overnight really strong pharmaceuticals with extremely undesirable side effects. And it's been a miracle drug for me. And the more that I've learned about it and heard anecdotes, I've come to understand that I'm not alone, that this is really a modern miracle drug.
2: Right. Actually, it's neither modern nor a drug. It's just a plain miracle. And in some ways, it's not really a miracle in the sense that it was probably the most common constituent of uh, pharmaceuticals uh, until uh, the early 20th century. In other words, we're dealing with a situation where the uh, pharmaceutical industry, for better and for worse, uh, likes to think about single molecules. And the uh, cannabis is, has 500 molecules, we know a little about some of those molecules. And all of the molecules we know about are represented in our nervous system and in our body. In other words, the overlap between things like THC, CBB, and perhaps a few other uh, cannabinoids as well uh, with the human biology is enormous. And none of it's really worked out yet because uh, in the 20th century, uh, people were looking for single molecules that did single things Single molecules that do single things are actually the definition of poisons. And the Greek word pharmakos means, among other things, mainly poison. So um, it's it's too specific. Cannabis, which overlaps with the human biology, uh, is not overly specific. As a result, it doesn't have uh, side effects. But as a result, you need the plant. So the plant is really not a drug. And it's not modern at all. It's simply allowing physicians to look back at something that was enormously useful, that was taken away from human uh, uh, treatment for reasons that were not particularly uh, uh, clear or scientific. They they certainly weren't scientific. And uh, uh, now we have the ability to look back to use this plant in a way that we can at least be systematic about it, even if we don't know all the details. And find out that for many, many things, including your experience with sleep, it's so much better than the pharmaceuticals, which are too specific, and things that are too specific wreak havoc on the systems they're not supposed to be touching.
1: Well, this is it's fascinating to hear. So I'm I'm no longer going to be calling cannabis my miracle drug. I'm gonna to have to find a new term. But in any case, I'm curious to start if you could differentiate for us between the recreational use of marijuana and the medical use of cannabis how do we understand right. well, first the difference well
2: first of all you know the uh, the greek word for the plant is cannabis uh, and uh, um, americans started to call it marijuana actually is a way of trying to make it some dangerous over the uh, border a mexican border um, and in spanish it's called marijuana um, but uh, if we just talk about cannabis I think that the popular use of cannabis has been in two areas. One of them is to get high. And, you know, if you have a uh, a form of marijuana or cannabis that has a high level of THC, and you use it to go past, uh, let's say, uh, a calming effect into an altered consciousness effect. So that's what people did in the 60s. And uh, and people liked it. It made them feel better. It was an awful lot better than anything else on the market that that altered consciousness, completely safe, um, except when the war on drugs decided, based on cannabis that wasn't clean, that it wasn't safe. There's no evidence that cannabis that's clean is not safe. Um, And uh, people used it. It made them feel better. It made them really appreciate music. It made them really appreciate uh, uh, social uh, interaction. And uh, that is, uh, compared to alcohol, an awful lot safer and an awful lot better. It does no harm. It goes away. There's no particular uh, uh, effect on dehydration, so you don't get into angle. And uh, people used it. But, you know, the issue was, is that a good thing or a bad thing? So that we can leave alone. But I think a great deal of people who are using cannabis and saying they're using it, you know, to get high, we're actually doing it to get calm because there's a great deal of self-medication. And, you know, I think uh, in Israel, we see it even more than any other place because we have so much post-trauma from all the wars and the missiles and whatever goes on in the Middle East that is one continuous trauma, both for Israelis and for Palestinians. And so um, uh, there's a lot of self-treatment, which is misrepresented uh, as getting high. There's actually people getting calm. For example, people with post-trauma can't sleep. It's the most common symptom of post-trauma, even a mild post-trauma. And if you take you know, a little bit of indica, it gives you a great night's sleep. And so you're not you know, getting tired all the time. And that's a sort of a self-medication that uh, people were using. And uh, doctors, unfortunately doctors are so uh, busy with the poisons or the pharmaceuticals or the, the great reduction to one molecule. It makes them feel very, very smart, but it's not how nature works. Nature never works with one molecule. It works with a balance between things which every other medical system has appreciated except for modern Western medicine, which tries to ignore balance and go for the one thing that does the thing Which, when you hit it right, you know, insulin does what insulin does. You know, if you can synthesize insulin, except for the recent craziness, then it becomes a uh, a very affordable and extraordinarily useful. uh, But that's where something's missing in the body, and you replace it. That's uh, that's where only Western medicine could uh, arrive at, isolating insulin and synthesizing it. But things that come outside the body and change the balance in the body, different story. And so people have been using it uh, both to change consciousness, which except in modern America was not considered a bad thing by any other culture, and uh, 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 to um, to relieve suffering in uh, um, things that weren't defined, but people found it important.
1: So this is really interesting in terms of alleviating suffering and, and helping people deal with deal with trauma, heal from trauma, and and become more calm, regulate their bodies, and live more healthy lives. What what does a a conscious consumer need to understand about cannabis before beginning to use it?
2: Okay. Well, uh, a conscious consumer, first of all, wants to buy cannabis that's not street cannabis. In other words, that it's clean because the dealers didn't have to spice it up. You know, everybody knows in New York that the dealers would add things to cannabis to make you addicted because cannabis isn't addicted. So if you're using cannabis, it's clean. And that, you know, in in the states that have medical cannabis, and certainly the ones that have recreational cannabis, so you're dealing with half of America one way or the other, um, you can find cannabis that is, that there would be no need to adulterate it. It's too good to adulterate it to reason to. So that's the first thing. And the second thing, is that um, a, a conscious consumer needs to know two facts that that don't go so well together the first fact is how much thc and how much cbd is in the um, strain that i'm using so it's nice to know you know those sort of details the truth is that even when it's so-called worked out it's approximate the other fact is you need to know that strains are different in a way that nobody understands there are another 500 molecules out there in cannabis that we don't understand, and we certainly don't know how they work together. So a conscious consumer would say it might be nice to know, roughly speaking, CBD and THC. And you know, if you want to use sleep, you know, you know that more or less indica is better for sleep than sativa for most people, and sativa is better for calming down and staying alert. And during the day for most people. But the main thing is experience with different strains. And uh, just because your friend does well with one kind of strain, another strain may be right for you. So a conscious consumer is involved in trial and error, hopefully in a systematic way. And the conscious consumer would also want to start with low doses. In other words, you don't take some, you know, high THC cannabis and just smoke a joint. That's the way to get high, but if you want to do it for sleep, you take a puff, you take another puff, or you vape it, or if you're getting oils, then you take a drop and then try another drop until you get the, the minimum dose that does exactly what you need to do. So most people, when they need to uh, sleep, do not need a whole gram or a whole uh, joint to be able to get to sleep, and so you sort of, sort of dose yourself based on what you, uh, what you need.
1: Interesting. So it sounds like there are two types, two main components of the cannabis. There's the THC that you mentioned and the CBD. And then you were also referring to two different strains, the the indica and the sativa. Can you give us an explanation of those four terms and what they mean?
2: I'd be happy to. Uh, Two of them we understand and two of them we really don't. So we'll start with the ones that we don't. Uh, There's a general understanding about different strains The plants look different, the indica and the sativa, but it's not absolute uh, by any means, and it's not entirely clear what the differences are. So I have to leave that to the experts in uh, plant biology, which I don't claim to be, uh, but you know, the idea that there's a, a, a clear distinction, if you use indica, it'll do this, and you use sativa, it'll do that, it's not at all clear. It's something that has yet to be worked out, it was sort of a beginning way of looking at you know two different strains uh two different groups of strains but it's not at all clear how well that's defined for example in israel <coughs> i do find that most people say i want indica, if I want to sleep i want sativa if i want to uh, stay alert um, but not everybody and not all forms of indica not all forms of sativa so there we're sort of in the dark and it's sort of like a rough division but you don't wanna be uh, uh, held to it too firmly because if you find a sativa that helps you to sleep, you're allowed to do that. And the same with uh, indica that helps you to be alert. Uh, so that's a sort of a rough division that isn't so clear.
1: Interesting. It sounds like there's a lot of further research to be done as well as a bio-individuality component for each person that that takes trial and, and you know, trial and error, and trial and feedback.
2: Right. Well, you know, bioindividuality is the best way to think about human beings and it's also the best way to think about a plant. And since it's too complex to know exactly how to break down all the individuality, so it's trial and error to see what does my body or my brain or my pancreas or whatever you're treating, my gut, what what works for me and what plant works for me. So there's you know, it's definitely a customizer. But then, you know, the best medicine is always customizing. Even when you start with SSRIs, there there are thousands of uh, bogus researches done every year about which SSRI is better for what every five years. You look at a meta-analysis, it's all wiped away. You have to do trial and error to find out what's right for you. So even more so with a plant that's uh, more uh, uh, more in it. Now, THC and CBD are known a bit better. And there, you know, all the credit goes to Israeli research. For the simple reason that a perfectly good pharmacological researcher named Mishulam was the only one on the planet who could get a bag of grass because in America, you couldn't get it. And if you're caught studying grass, you would be defunded. Whereas Mishulam, things were a little bit sort of, I wouldn't say, you know, more liberal than Israel. They were just sort of, loose, you know, the term we use here is balagan for loose, something that's not so well organized. So the police said, here, have a bag. So he was the only person doing research who could get a bag of grass. And he worked on it and he isolated the structure of THC and he isolated the structure of CBD. And he started to look at the way that these two things work differently. But it's important to recognize that Mishulam is a pharmacologist. He's a, uh, a researcher in the area of pharmaceuticals, and he's not particularly interested in plants. He was interested in reducing the plant to THC and CBD, and frankly, I think that's a mistake, it's an understandable mistake, but I think it's a an mistake. Anyway, THC, tetrahydrocannabinol, is a uh, chemical, not a complicated chemical. It's a chemical that you can produce in the laboratory. You see, nature sometimes creates chemicals that are so floppy with so many different structures that it really is hell to try to, to to reproduce them and it would be too expensive for example with people in america know about st john's Wort. st john's Wort has these chemicals but no one's ever going to uh, try to reproduce in the laboratory the plant is too good the way it is cannabis on the other hand has uh, more simple molecules and uh, and then it's possible to uh and to synthesize both THC and CBD. Now, you know, people would like to say, what does THC do and what does CBD do? I think that's not precise. I think it's the balance between CBD and THC in most of the body. I think it's certainly the case in the nervous system and certainly with autism, where people would like to say, THC is this drug and CBD is that drug. That I think is gonna turn out to be imprecise and what we're going to find, there are THC receptors and there are CBD receptors in the, uh, the nervous system, for example, but no one's looking at the balance between them. And I think that nature usually is still deal- dealing with the, the balance. But you know, to take what people say seriously with a grain of salt, THC makes you high. You know, see, THC is a is psychoactive drug, but it also does a lot of good for, um, other uh, areas in the body uh, for example it does a great deal of good for people with fibromyalgia and it does a great deal of good for people with Crohn's disease and it also has this you know thing that it can be psychoactive cbd is not psychoactive at all in other words uh, <laughs> one of the people who was fighting in the knesset you know he wanted to get CBD for a child with epilepsy and it was being overcontrolled for reasons that the will skip uh, so he took three bottles of CBD oil, went to the clinic, and drank three of them in front of everybody. And said, "No, you know, see how I drive. You know, what do you? What's the problem with this stuff?" So CBD uh, is probably anti-inflammatory, and uh, its uh, receptors are extraordinarily helpful for uh, uh, for pain and for uh, a number of inflammatory uh, uh, diseases. And, uh, and since it's not psychoactive, there's no reason on, the, on earth to make it illegal.
1: No reason on earth to make it illegal. No reason.
2: No reason whatsoever. And then the rest of the world, except Israel, it's legal. So you can buy CBD oil um, pretty much everywhere. I believe that in the States, the movement now is to make CBD pretty much available. And uh, uh, pure CBD means that, you know, the plant, the strain that, it's, uh, uh, that creates it, creates CBD It has less than 1% THC.
1: So I wanna, I wanna pause here for a moment because I think you're hitting on something really, really crucial. We are living, and I'm living in a country, you and I are living in a country in which we have a, a substance that is not harmful whatsoever, that is not legal that it is only legal with a prescription for very specific purposes. Dr. Flashman, what are we missing out on as a society by not having this access?
2: Okay. Um, let me go back and just explain to you how cannabis became illegal in Israel, because everybody knows how cannabis became a Schedule One drug in America. That was in 1973, and that was President Nixon. And everybody knows that he wanted to, uh, um, incriminate people who are against the war. And uh, the people who were around at that time and did it for him, suggested he wanted to incriminate uh, the black uh, Hispanic population as well. In other words, they had a racist aspect, the way most bad things do. So uh, everybody, I mean, I was in medical school in 1973 when M- Nixon made cannabis a schedule one drug. I don't think there was a doctor in anywhere in New York. I was at Bellevue. I don't think, and we had lots of problems with drugs, but uh, I don't think anybody thought that it made sense medically to make cannabis a Schedule One drug. But you know, he did it for whatever reasons. You know, he guided uh, uh, President Nixon. Uh, but very people, very few people know that President Nixon put an addendum on the uh, Foreign Aid Bill. And the addendum on the Foreign Aid Bill was, you have to fight drugs. The way we do you have to characterize them the way we do this is something i haven't seen but a friend of mine who is extraordinarily reliable you know let me know about this and uh and so who was the greatest recipient of foreign aid in 1973 from america 1973 war you know kippur war israel so you know we got this as a dictate from uh from america that you have to fight the war and you have to make cannabis a schedule runs drug. No public discussion, no particular reason in Israel to do that. It was just, you know, a dictate. But you know, Israelis in the 70s with the American dictate, they sort of said, "Somebody's going to notice. Somebody's going to check. Oh, the hell with it. So we'll call it, you know, a, a Schedule One drug, but we won't be serious about it." That's how it came to be a Schedule One drug in Israel. It was never a public discussion, nor difficulty with really. it. But then, from the 80s on. The, uh, the war on famous or infamous war on drugs was heavily funded and so a lot of people you know got jobs doing the war on drugs and then so they recreated an israeli uh, mechanism to show the fight against cannabis just because that's what america was doing without any reference to what was going on in israel and you know israel was fighting a lot of wars and uh, um, people needed cannabis for post trauma but they weren't getting it and uh, most doctors in Israel, you know, not dinosaurs like me, but people who learned medicine in the 80s and 90s, later were taught about using ampicillin for ear infections and uh, penicillin for uh, pneumonia. And the cannabis is a dangerous drug. So they, the doctors knew. What are we missing? We're missing the possibility of treating uh, uh, things that are so uh, rampant, for example, the post-trauma, I live in the South. 20,000 people live in the border of uh, Gaza. They all have post-trauma. Now they're to come to me. And uh, uh, most of them are self-treating with cannabis. And the post-trauma is made worse by the fact that they don't know when they're gonna get the cannabis. They don't know if the police are gonna show up. They don't know if the police are gonna come and arrest a plant, which the police have been doing So you know, sometimes whole fields of plants, but sometimes uh, uh, if you grow a marijuana plant, you're, uh, uh, you're, you're in Israel it's a felony. So um, so we're missing the possibility of, of people who are uh, either soldiers and are messed up or people who live under terror and arrest um, to treat themselves and to be feeling that they're doing the right thing rather than the wrong thing.
1: This in itself is is such a travesty on a macro level, and I'm curious if that extends even further. I know for myself, coming to my doctor with um, anxiety, insomnia related to really daily living with um, as a busy mother, as a working mother, someone dealing with COVID and, and uncertainty. How does that play out? And 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 how can CBD? I mean, what are we missing by? let's say the percentage of the population that is currently taking pharmaceuticals for anxiety, for example, what are what are we missing out on or what are they dealing with in terms of negative consequences that could be eradicated with this healthy alternative? Right.
2: Uh, well, look, you know, um, in Israel, uh, there's no experience with, with with just playing straightforward CBD because it's not available. Uh, Medical cannabis, up until now, there was only one form of pure CBD. And uh, that was the one that was being used mainly for epilepsy and some for autism. Um, Is pure CBD a useful thing for people to use to sleep or to limit their anxiety before they uh, um, go to a physician? I think so but I can't tell you from experience because I'm not allowed to do it. <laughs> if, if I suggest that somebody has anxiety and therefore needs a license, there's nobody that can do that. I can suggest it for autism and I can suggest it for post-trauma. Some people with post-trauma prefer GFC, but it's possible to use CBD first and sometimes it's extraordinarily helpful. Um, would it be better for Israeli medicine? If people had access to pure cbd and would try it before they would go to a doctor and say i need some medication i think so i mean it seems that i have very little experience because i'm not allowed to have experience i know that you know with autism it's so difficult to get a license some people you know took their lives in their hands and they brought in cbd you know good uh, uh, form from europe or from israel and we're treating their own kids one or two of those parents were arrested at the airport uh, for bringing in CBD oil for their kids, and uh, you know, in the end, the police started to realize that the courts are a little bit ahead of the police, and there are no judges who will hear a case of CBD, they will simply throw the case out, so if the judges are throwing the cases out, the police don't really want to do it, but they have to stop it so and then they end up the police ended up being the, the, the cbd delivery service <laughs> they would seize the cbd and then the judge would say why did you do that and they would say well we don't really know and so the judge would say well deliver it so they would deliver it that would be you know that's the word balagan you know sort of loose structure of things uh, um, uh, fits well for uh, for that but not every parent wants to have to deal with something that is officially a schedule
1: 1 drug right so, you know absolutely it makes a lot of sense so in terms of the broader uses of cannabis can we for a moment speak about you mentioned earlier trauma and you also mentioned autism can you share a little bit with us about what the mechanism is here and how these how these issues are are treated effectively with cannabis well
2: i'll be happy to tell you uh, what i think you know the word mechanism is a scientific term and i have thoughts about a mechanism but uh, it'll be another decade or so before anybody even looks at the mechanism but i'll tell you the story um, there's no question that cbd is extraordinarily useful as an anti-epileptic uh, agent no question whatsoever and uh, so the israeli neurologists once they've tried six or more extremely expensive uh uh anti-epileptics on kids with uh, unusual forms of epilepsy they were willing to use cannabis because they had nothing you know the kid is teasing and this is not good for anybody and cannabis might help so and it certainly doesn't hurt cbd right so it was like a no-brainer if, you know in medicine your question is not what's going to work because that's uh, for fools you don't know the future you know the past But the medical question is what's worth trying? And if something has a good chance of helping and no chance of hurting, like that's a medical no brainer is worth trying. And so the kids with epilepsy started to do a lot better. And a lot of neurologists are very impressed with how useful this was with kids that they weren't able to help. It never got to the point where anybody thought you could use uh, CBD before anti-epileptic drugs, because that's not how doctors here think but at least after you failed with the drugs, so they were open to it. Two of those kids had an overlap. There's a 30%, 30% overlap between autism and epilepsy. Two epileptic kids who also had autism, their mothers, mothers noticed that uh, their autism was improved. And uh, these two mothers, uh, Sharon Imberman and Abigail Dar, began to push the medical establishment to try for, for autism. It wasn't an easy push. It still isn't an easy push, but uh, they created the, uh, the, uh, the possible use of, uh, um, of, uh, uh, of uh, CBD oil, it's mostly CBD oil uh, um, with autism. And uh, then for some reasons that sort of like local politics, they ended up coming to me and asking me if I would be willing to see these kids and treat them with, uh, 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 with, with uh, cannabis oil. Now, you know, I, I trained in pediatrics and child psychiatry in the late 70s. Uh, and since then, autism has never been absent from my practice. But I have to say, as a psychiatrist who prescribes things, <laughs> there wasn't anything to prescribe because none of it was really particularly useful. And the literature suggests that it's not particularly useful. There's one paper that says it's 30% useful. And 35% is the bar for placebo. So if you don't get over 35, you're not likely to be doing anything. Uh, And the drugs are very toxic. So, you know, and then they came and said, cannabis oil, CBD is really helpful. I said, listen, you know, if it is, then we have something very important. That would be like where you use the word miracle. And so um, let's try it and see. And I was absolutely amazed, you know, that kids would be getting 80% uh, improvement. Uh, 80% of the kids would get a good or a very good improvement. And I think if we had more strains, we could probably get more because you had to find the right strain for each kid.
1: I wanna I wanna pause here for a moment and 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 clarify this. You said 80% of children with autism who are taking CBD have an improvement. What is now when you say improvement, what does that look like for those of us who are listening, parents especially, how exactly does that play out?
2: Well, um, at at the you know, upper end, you know, you have some kids who are banging their heads and they're They have so-called rage attacks, but since they're not angry at anybody, I think it's more frustration attacks. And those simply go away, they disappear. It's not that you're suppressing them like you try to do with drugs, they disappear. And the kids become, you know, kids who, uh, some kids started to talk, they weren't talking before. Some kids started to talk more clearly. Some kids made better eye contact. And the interesting thing is the kids, you know, at the higher end, some of them are really, brilliant uh, kids uh, I would tell them my theory which I'm about to tell you and they would say to me but how do you know that so that you know that's a that, that nice uh, 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 way of thinking of these it seems to me that um, there is one study that suggests that uh, uh, our mind works well when we go between two basic states that the mind is organized when we say the brain is organized we're really talking energy, we're not talking uh, matter, because what we're able to track now is the way that different parts of the brain connect with each other. It's called connectivity, and there are patterns of connectivity. And, uh, uh, you know, we used to think maybe one molecule will solve everything. Then we thought, well, maybe it's a group of, you know, cells called centers. But it doesn't look that way. It looks like it's the way the centers communicate between the others, it's more like energy, patterns of. Uh, patterns of connectivity, there are two. One, a person is more like inside themselves, it's called the resting state. And the other is where somebody is fixing a motorcycle that brings a man, uh, and it's called the executive state, doing stuff So it's like inside yourself and outside yourself. And when the inside and the outside patterns, there's like a connectivity between the patterns of connectivity, it's a pretty high level, far away from just single reductive molecules. When those patterns are interactive between each other, they flow easily. Life is easy. And in autism, it, it, it doesn't work. It, it's uh, it's uh, interrupted, it's not smooth, and it's not uh, uh, immediate. And so I think that autistic children experience when they can't go from inside to outside or from outside to inside, they experience an emotional pain which makes them need to touch something with their skin is between inside and outside and if they're hitting somebody else that's a rage attack and if they're hitting themselves itself but really it's the same frustration and i think that uh, this is my theory that uh, it's the uh, the uh, um, ratio between the receptors that are being stimulated cbd and thc which is a rod, and so four out of five kids or maybe five out of six kids when you give them cbd uh, it looks like you're rebalancing the uh, um, the ratio between the CBD and THC in the brain. If CBD was deficient. You add CBD, but then when you add some more THC to get fine tuning, because you know the oil is twenty to one, but maybe the brain needs sixteen to one. So you add a little bit more THC, it even gets better, and uh, you see that it looks like you're you're correcting nature. You're not fighting against nature. You're correcting nature, and the the terrible. Uh, um, uh, rage rage or frustration attacks, they disappear in most of the kids. That's absolutely amazing. But what's even more interesting is that one out of six, let's say kids, um, you give them a CBD, it gets worse. CBD is not psychoactive. But when you give them THC, the THC does for them what the CBD did, did for the other kids. In other words, it looks like one out of six kids is too little CBD. I'm sorry, there's too much CBD relative to the THC and you correct it by giving more THC. And it's not as if they're getting high, if they get the exact same result of uh, uh, rebalancing. So that's why I tell kids, you know, the, the kids you can talk to and say, you know, maybe it's hard to go from inside to outside. And a lot of the more brilliant ones said, oh, oh, that's what's happening. So, you know, that's not in the laboratory and we don't have the equipment to make it a mechanism, but it's a way of thinking, which I think is- uh, It's
1: extremely helpful.
2: Yeah, that way you can sort of think you're rebalancing things and you just sort of fiddle with the fine tuning to get it right. And this is, uh, for autism, it's a miracle. It really is a miracle because autism wasn't around so much back in the 1800s when people were using the, uh, cannabis for everything else. Uh, Or or maybe you could say that we didn't have autism because everybody was getting cannabis, I don't know, we don't know how to figure that one out, but uh, um, it's such a, such a simple and harmless uh, intervention, which is so helpful that, uh, you know, my feeling is the sooner the better, I try to give kids uh, uh, CBD oil when they're two or three, you know, before they start having these terrible rages. Now it needs to be studied, and nobody is studying it. Um, The the research is done is very, very rough, sort of useless kind of research. Um, But uh, there's a lot of research to be done to find out which kids need more THC, which more CBD, what kind of doses, the dose ranges is all trial and error. We don't have any way to control it at this point. But it's a different way in which a physician uh, meets autism, and this is thanks to mothers. If the doctors were were, were behind it, and if it went for these mothers, I I wouldn't have known to, to try to do it. Now I know something because I've seen about 700 kids with uh, with these kinds of results, and it's uh, it's really quite amazing. It needs a lot more study. It needs to be specified much better, but it's uh, it's something that really belongs uh, uh, as the first. Uh, the the first approach
1: to uh, the autism. First approach. Dr. Flashman, before we conclude, I'm I'm interested to hear from you about the other usage that you mentioned, which is in treating trauma. Can we talk about that for a moment in terms of, I understand trauma is trauma with a capital T, perhaps after an experience in a wartime or something involving violence. I'm curious to hear from you if there are, if those are the specific uses, or if in dealing with trauma, there's, there's a wider understanding of what trauma is, and also how this interacts, how, how cannabis can be used in, in these cases.
2: Right, I'll put you in a uh, sort of a general way. Anything <clears throat> that overwhelms the, uh, well technology call the defenses, or let's say the adaptive process. When you have a trauma, something makes you speechless, makes you all alone, and makes you overwhelmed. And people have the experience of sort of going into a shell. Now, if it's a serious enough trauma, that shell becomes a kind of a default. And so people are sort of all wound up. It's like a spring that's caught in the spirit and they can't quiet it down. And so they're always avoiding anything that would make them go into that kind of a shell. That can happen after a car accident, that can happen after four years of of combat, that can happen after rape, and that can happen after, uh, uh, let's say, uh, uh, physical or or sexual abuse in childhood. Anything that creates that kind of reaction is uh, creating a kind of a taut spring that makes you not able to concentrate, not able to sleep, not able to, you know, be calm, You sort of jump at everybody, sometimes a motorcycle goes and you jump at that. And it's hard to to put your life in the uh, in gear because you're busy protecting it all the time so all of those kinds of traumas are uh, helped by your cannabis usually with the higher uh, THC there's something about the cannabis that's the only thing you know that lowers that uh, tension in the spring and you see people who have let's say anxiety or depression and it doesn't seem that the medications are helping them it's worth thinking that maybe the basis behind The anxiety or the depression is really some kind of a trauma. And uh, when I started to see that cannabis was helpful, I had a whole bunch of patients who weren't doing so well on medication. And I brought them back and said, maybe you need cannabis. And a lot of them did a lot better. Uh, Now, the only other thing to say is that cannabis doesn't take away the trauma. It makes it tolerable. You can live with it better. But uh, psychological treatment, and there's a number of them, for, for trauma are uh, probably a good idea once you get settled on cannabis. I tell you know, my ex-soldiers that start with cannabis, when you have medical cannabis at the right dose with the right, uh, um, the right strains, and you feel well for six months, then it may be time to start to do some psychological debriefing, uh, which cannabis makes possible to do. You take a little, you're able to make use of the session. Without the cannabis, the session just makes you overwhelmed again. You just suffer, you don't do anything with it. With the cannabis, it's possible, and I have experience with a number of people who have used it this way, they teach me. Um, You can make the session painful, but useful. And then some of them actually, at the end, they don't need the cannabis anymore. The cannabis made the psychological debriefing possible and psychological debriefing made the cannabis no longer uh, um, necessary.
1: This is absolutely fascinating. Dr. Flashman, I know that you are a professor and you are also training psychologists at the Family Institute of Jerusalem. Where else can our listeners find you and connect with you for more information? What are you currently? Are you currently offering sessions or consultations? Talk to us a little bit about that.
2: Right now I'm teaching family therapy at Tel Aviv University in a program in family therapy. I'm teaching, you know, a bunch of courses at the family institute. In the bay rusha line um, on family therapy um, i did actually put up on the um, youtube a series of uh, sessions about uh, cannabis and autism i did it in english and in hebrew so that's available and everything that i do is, is as much as possible available on a website that i use for open access because um, If anybody's
1: interested, I'm interested If they're interested. Fantastic. So generous of you to share all of this and to be here with us today. Thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Flashman.
2: My pleasure, Isaac. Thanks for having me.
0: What a wonderful, wonderful doctor. I feel so blessed to have had the opportunity to hear from Dr. Flashman Nothing in this episode constitutes medical advice, okay? So Dr. Alan Flashman is a medical doctor. I am an educator, but nothing that has been said in this episode constitutes any sort of prescription or medical advice. We encourage you to consult with your medical doctor or to find a medical doctor who is licensed and who is up to date on the research in this growing and burgeoning field of cannabis. Okay, so to connect with Dr. Flashman directly, you can catch the links in the show notes and you can be in touch with him for a consult or for more information about what he does or what he spoke about. And you can also be in touch with me. Right now, I have weekly workshops for women going on every single Wednesday. I do a live podcast interview and there's an interactive component and a Q&A where you can meet other women and also ask questions to my guest experts and interact with me live on a Zoom call. It's really, really so much fun. You can learn more and sign up at drazi.co backslash workshop. That's D-R-A-Z-I dot C-O backslash workshop. You can also connect with me on social media, both on Facebook and Instagram. I'm dr. Ozzy Jankovic, A-Z-I-J-A-N-K-O-V-I-C on both. And I answer all of my messages so you can connect with me and tell me how this episode resonated with you, what your experiences are and what you're going through and what you'd like to see more of. So I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to connect with you. And thank you so much for being here and for joining me. It is really such an important topic, and I'm really glad that we're all on the same page. Wherever you are in the world, I am so glad that you are meeting yourself with kindness because, my friends, you deserve it. I will see you here next week.